Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Williams shotgun snap, straight drop, four-man rush. They pick it up, looking deep, steps up in the pocket. Going to wing it for the end zone for Mims. He comes back for it. He caught it! He caught it! Isn't it in? No signal yet! The Red River rivalry is in the rearview. TCU's on the horizon, but everybody's talking quarterbacks. Everybody. Whether you're talking local media, national media, everybody's talking quarterbacks as far as Oklahoma's concerned. With the drama building this week, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams, who's going to take the field first in Norman Saturday night against TCU? I think it's, a, I mean, obviously, Captain Obvious here, duh. It's a big decision for Lincoln Riley because this team, I mean, they're 6-0. and Everything is still a possibility. Everything is still in front of them. So huge decision looming for Lincoln Riley. And I, I haven't changed my opinion on this. It's going to be who owns that locker room right now. And I don't see how you can make an argument that Spencer Rattler owns the locker room. These guys are rallying to Caleb Williams. And we'll see. We'll, I mean, we'll see. I'll be there. You'll be there. Or you'll be watching on TV. We'll see what happens Saturday night in Norman. But this is this is the story that supersedes the opponent, but this is also the story that's got to be Lincoln Riley has got to be spot on with this because TCU is exactly the type of opponent that can sneak up on you, and OU has a history of that. Let's not pretend like Gary Patterson hasn't done that before to the Sooners. What's going on, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld. Uh, Rich is going to join us via. Uh, you just say modern technology for the true or false segment. This will be an abbreviated version of the Sooner Nation podcast, but we're here nonetheless, and we want to say thank you for tuning in, for listening. we got to start with some recruiting news, though. I mean, we, we talked about OU Texas. We recapped we recap that pretty good, I thought, uh, after, after Saturday's win in Dallas. But since then, now, if you listen to the podcast, you've known this was coming. If you follow social media, if you follow recruiting, you've known this was coming. But five-star defensive lineman Gabriel Brownlow-Dendy officially commits to Oklahoma. So the Sooners have a five-star defensive lineman in that class. And what help, this is, by the way, for 2022. And what it does is it helps boost that national ranking. They're, they're in the top 10 now. They're at number eight. They're still behind Texas uh, in the Big 12 rankings. Texas at number one, Oklahoma number two. But that that gap is closing significantly. When you look at 15 commitments for this for this class, they break down like this. Currently, you got two running backs, you got two receivers, three offensive linemen with Brownlow Dendy. Now you have three defensive linemen, two linebackers, a defensive back, and surprise surprise, current Oklahoma punter Michael Turk actually is accredited to the 2022 class as well. So you got a special teams player there. Oklahoma is far from being finished. And and that's why I said that gap between Oklahoma and Texas is is closing because there, there's some there's some 
particularly on the defensive side of the ball. There's some big-time talent that I think is about to join this class, and you, you don't have to go outside of the state of Oklahoma. You've heard us talk about Gentry Williams. You've heard us talk about Chris McClellan. Both of those guys, four-star recruits, both of those guys, national uh, national prospects, they're getting everybody anywhere wants Gentry Williams. Everybody anywhere wants Chris McClellan. But again, you're seeing USC insiders, Oklahoma State insiders, Arkansas insiders. They're all starting to put crystal ball predictions towards those two guys coming to play for the University of Oklahoma. And then the new name that you're that you're going to want to keep an eye on back to the offensive side of the ball. But coming out of coming out of Las Vegas, Desert Pines High School, Javante Barnes. Coming now, he's a part of the 2022 class as well. And remember, Oklahoma already has two running backs in this class, but Javante Barnes is starting to trend heavily towards Oklahoma. It's a kid who has a six six foot even, 190. Um, he's got 35 scholarships, uh, 35 scholarship offers, right? Right now, it looks like Alabama, Florida State, Ole Miss, USC, all those guys are heavy in on this kid, but Oklahoma's starting to gain a lot of traction with him. And you know about the Las Vegas connection for the 2023 class. Could that start a year earlier with the 2022 class? Now, different high schools, again, Javante Barnes out of Desert Pines, but different high schools could be the same result. You get this Las Vegas connection going. Oh, and who who does who does Lincoln Riley have leading the front on this recruiting trail? Yeah, it's DeMarco Murray, a Las Vegas kid himself. So it's we're halfway through the season. So you, you were into October national signing days, December for this 2022 class. It opens up in December. So you you've got a month and a half left. So things are going to have to, they're going to start going really, really quick on the recruiting trail for these guys. And, and when you look at a kid like Javante Barnes, who has been on the radar for Oklahoma for a while now, he's not—he's no—he's nothing new. You could go to heartland-sports.com and you can enter his name in the search bar, and we've got stuff written about him because he's been around, he's been on the radar for a while. But again, you've got Steve Wiltfong on on the twelfth of this month, so just a few days ago, Steve Wiltfong the same the same day that Brownlow Dindy commits to Oklahoma, Steve Wiltfong does a crystal ball prediction for Javante Barnes. Again, director of football recruiting for 24-7 sports. Also, um, I'm I'm going to mess this guy's name up, so I'm not even going to try it, but the, the Mountain Region recruiting analysts for 24-7 sports, Javante Barnes towards Oklahoma. So that's the next name I think you're going to need to add to the list to keep an eye on. I got another recruiting question coming up for Rich and True or False, and then we're going to hit up TCU and Oklahoma after that and give you the Big 12 breakdown. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, all right, then, here we go. It's time for our favorite segment of the podcast where we get to say five true or false statements. And then one of us has to say whether they're true or false and then give reasoning behind such. 
This week, I'm saying the statements, asking the questions, and Rich is in the hot seat telling them whether they're true or false. So here we go. Number one, we're going to hit up uh, football recruiting. Oklahoma adds five-star defensive lineman Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy to the 2022 recruiting class. Now, the addition to him in this class moves Oklahoma to number eight nationally. Rich, true or false, when all is said and done, the Sooners will have a top that five I class. I think that I'm going to have to answer that one with a false. And here's the reason why. When we look at some of the targets that Oklahoma has put their name into the hat of this individual, the biggest names that come up are Gentry Williams, for obvious reasons, being an Oklahoma product out of the Tulsa area, and then Chris McClellan, just a little further north of Tulsa there in Owasso as a defensive lineman. Those two names seem as if they are going to commit. At least all signs are pointing to commitments from them. I'm just not sure that when you begin to add in four-star recruits, and there's nothing wrong with that by any stretch of the imagination. When you're adding a top 100 recruit in the country, that's a, a pretty big deal, and you should be excited about that. But when we're talking about moving the needle in terms of rankings, I'm just not sure it gets it done. I'm not sure that it gets them into the top five. There are a couple of other names that I think Oklahoma has a shot at. I'm just not sure it's as sure of a bet as it is with these other two names that have already been mentioned. One of those being Zion Branch, who I thought Oklahoma was making a lot of inroads with, but has yet to commit, has yet to look like he's going to be a heavy lean even towards the the Oklahoma faithful. Instead, all the predictions are saying that he's headed to Ohio State and the next closest school to that is USC. So it'd be a big surprise for me if Oklahoma does land Zion Branch. So I'm looking at really those two individuals, Gentry Williams, Chris McClellan, as those recruits that will round out this 2022 class. And while I'm excited to have those as members of the 2022 class, Matt, like I said previously, just moments ago, is I'm not sure that they're, they're that star power that moves the needle up high enough for Oklahoma to find themselves in the top five when it's all said and done. All right, so here we go. Big topic of the week. Caleb Williams, Rich, true or false? Caleb Williams will get the start on Saturday night against TCU. Man, this is something that I'm going to wrestle with for the remainder of the week until Saturday. And I have a gut instinct that I'm going to go with here in answering this question. And that is going to be a true My reasoning why I believe that Caleb Williams steps out as the starter with this Oklahoma offense on Saturday against TCU is largely because of the headspace where you have a true freshman who possibly had the game of his life. We don't know because we don't have a large sample size, but possibly had the game of his life. Builds momentum with this Oklahoma team, which eventually leads to the come from behind win over the Texas Longhorns in the Red River rivalry and submits his name as one of the top players moving forward, regardless of if he starts or not for this Oklahoma team for the remainder of the season. But I have to look at the headspace that Spencer Rattler is in and being benched last year seemed to work wonders for him. I see it having an opposite effect this year, and it's largely because of how the team responded. It's how the fan base has responded. It's how the media has responded. In fact, I believe that it affected him so much that we're hearing reports of 
of Rattler missing Monday's practice. Granted, it was with the permission of Lincoln Riley. Heck, it may have even been Lincoln Riley's permission. But again, it speaks to the mentality of a guy like Rattler, who I still believe is one of the most talented players in the country, regardless of if he if he starts on Saturday or not. Still one of the most talented players, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country. I, I don't think that this half of the season is really a career-defining moment for him, but I do think it will define this season in that mentally, I, I don't think he's going to be all there. I don't think he's going to have that edge that we like for a player of, of his position to have. I don't think he would make the big plays um, that we've come to expect as Oklahoma fans for fear of making a mistake. There's a lot that's going on mentally for a player like Rattler, and it's for those reasons that I think Lincoln Riley does opt for Caleb Williams. But I also know what some of these players are saying, Matt, like Marvin Mims coming out and saying, look, look, Spencer Rattler's our captain. He's the player that has led us into battle time and time again this season, and we're going to ride this wave with him. Whether it's a good one or a bad one, I still believe that the players have his back. But as a coach, you have to be considering more than just just the locker room. You also have to consider wins. And if your ultimate goal is not only a Big 12 title, but it's also to compete for the national championship, which player gives you that better option? And right now, all signs are pointing to Caleb Williams. So it's not just headspace. I'm also asking the question of who gives you the best opportunity to compete for the national championship. And Caleb Williams entering himself into the equation completely changed the look of this offense. And Matt, you and I may disagree on how that changed and why that changed is I still think it was Caleb Williams and his legs and having to account for the run that really froze the linebackers in no man's space, no man's land, allowing a player like Kennedy Brooks a lot of room to run in. Needless to say, I I, I digress back to the fact, headspace, best, best chances of winning the national championship, and that is squarely play, placed upon Caleb Williams for the moment. More specifically to the Oklahoma TCU football game, let's talk some strategery here. True or false, Rich? Uh, you look at West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas, and now TCU. For the fourth weekend in a row, Oklahoma's defense must focus on stopping their opponent's running game first. Yes, I am going to say that one is 100% absolutely true. You look at the talents of Zach Evans in the backfield, and there's a lot of talent there there's a lot of ability to maneuver when given the ball and there's a lot of natural giftedness on display for a lack of a lack of a better term to describe a player like Zach Evans but you don't come into the collegiate ranks with the the clout that he has and not deliver this was the expectation for him and he's really starting to tr- to thrive for this this TCU team that we can go into the stats and we can break down his averages, but at the end of the day, there's a lot that he's doing on his own to hit those averages, and it's not another player or another set of players 
who are really being a distraction, which is allowing him to do that. So you have to be concerned with Zach Evans in the backfield. You have to be concerned with the talent that is embodied in a single individual, whereas we can look at the passing game and really TCU isn't known for their ability to pass this season. We've seen them one time, I believe it is, one time crack the 200-yard mark, and that's not saying much here in the Big 12 in terms of passing yards. They're averaging well below that that 200 mark at this point of the season. And so the strength of this this offense, I say well below 200. They're at 209.8 yards per per game in terms of passing yards with Max Dugan doing a majority of the work. But they're not a team that's looking to throw. They're not a team that's looking to throw to stretch the field vertically instead they're going to ride this rushing attack and allow it to open up the passing game for a player like Dugan so I think if you can begin to take away the strength and the heart of this TCU offense you've got a really good shot at shutting them down putting all the pressure on a player as much as I love a player like Max Dugan putting the pressure on him seems to be the way to go and he can make things happen but we also know that he's turned the ball over a handful of times this season so if you're looking for turnovers if you're looking to be successful on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, absolutely. Key in on Zach Evans and make the quarterback do the work. Make Max Dugan throw the ball. Make him use his arm in order to beat you. And if he can do that, then the only thing you've got to do at the end of the game is simply give him a hat tip. Moving on to number four, true or false, Rich. Oklahoma's defense wasn't as bad as the box score indicated last weekend against the Texas Longhorns. We're going to keep with this trend because I do believe the answer to that one is also a true. The most atrocious quarter for the Oklahoma Sooners defense was the first quarter. They give up the big play to start the game, which goes for a touchdown. First drive, one play, touchdown. You're already in the hole 7-0. Of course, you have the mishap on the ensuing offensive drive for Oklahoma. It's putting the defense back out on the field, Matt. It just seemed as though this defense didn't get a break Period. It didn't matter what they were doing. It didn't matter if they were playing well. The offense wasn't helping them, and they weren't playing complimentary football. And when you're out there that much on defense, of course an offense is going to be able to take advantage of you. It's why this this Texas offense last week was able to build a sizable lead, 21 points at one point in time, 18 points at the half. But Oklahoma comes back, and after the break, kind of flips the switch, for lack of a better way of putting that, flip this switch, and they begin to lock down their focus. They know exactly what the the focus and the primary task of the defense was, which seemed to be slowing down this rushing attack, as evidenced by the 35 yards by B. John Robinson in the second half, and instead putting a lot of the pressure on the receivers, a lot of unproven talent on the Texas offense to carry a majority of the weight to carry the load while Oklahoma was building momentum. So defensively, Matt, I I thought it was not complimentary football, which is extremely difficult to deal with in the first half, more specifically in the first quarter. Cause you look at, at the, the second, the second quarter alone. And I believe that was just a 10 point quarter for Texas. And that was Oklahoma really trying to find their way defensively, really trying to allow this defense to settle in and give the offense more offensive opportunities, more possessions, more chances to score. We see that come to fruition in the second half as Texas only scores the 10 points there for the remainder of the game. And Oklahoma really runs away with it, begins scoring points in the bunches. 
why? That's because they were playing the, the complimentary football. I know there was the special teams strip, a uh, fumble strip from Caleb Kelly there that helped this offense, kept the defense off of the field, allowed them to cr- catch their breath, allowed them to rest, allowed them to hydrate, etc. And so at the end of the day, the score is not indicative. The number of yards, I think, is the one thing that's eye-popping. But you've got to remember the big plays that were broken off there in the first half that we didn't really see too much of in the second half. So this was the the bend but don't break. And Oklahoma certainly broke in the first half and then corrected course in the second half, leading me to, to answer that question. Was this defense as bad as the stat sheet indicates? Score-wise, I don't think so. This The, the yardage may be a little bit eye-popping, but again, I don't think it's as bad as we like to make it, and it's largely because of what took place early on in this contest and not allowing that defense to rest one single bit. Am I making an excuse for them? You may very well say that that's the case, but you'll have to let us know in the comments sometime after this is posted. All right, rounding it out. Oklahoma, a 13.5-point favorite this week over TCU. Rich, true or false, the Sooners will finally cover the point spread against a Power 5 opponent this season. Well, pal, if we're being honest, Oklahoma covered the point spread last week. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was a three and a half spread against the Texas Longhorns. Oklahoma wins that one by a touchdown. Ergo, winning the game by more than three and a half points and therefore covering that point spread that was initially set. When we're looking at what Oklahoma's capable of, I I may be very biased in my opinion, but I do like to say true to your question. I think I've picked Oklahoma to cover their spread every single game this week, so don't put a lot of weight into what I'm saying here about the spread. What I will say, though, is this, Matt. The reason that I'm going with true is because you're looking at a rejuvenated offense. You're looking at an offense that all of a sudden has a vertical threat. We knew that Marvin Mims was going to be good. In fact, I picked him as my player of the game against Texas, a guy who had to perform at a high level. And what do we see? We see Marvin Mims come out and do just that, really setting the tone and really setting himself apart and defining himself as possibly the leading receiver, the the go-to receiver, once again, much like he was last year, despite it being a different quarterback, a different situation in that quarterback room, and us asking the question of what's going to happen on Saturday and who's going to trot out there with the ones. Marvin Mims, can we say, is back, and he is that go-to receiver. He is that vertical threat. You've got Kennedy Brooks, who proved that behind this offensive line, when they're playing with confidence, can do just about anything that you ask him, even if he's not coming out of the backfield to catch the ball like we would expect from an Eric Gray. He's still showcasing the patience. He put on display the fact that he has a burst and has speed and has the ability to make defenders miss. This is a team that's starting to fire on all cylinders, and I think that should scare the tar out of anybody who remains on the schedule for this Sooner program. We look defensively mad at what Oklahoma's been doing, and we see the improvement. Alex Grinch is making the money that he does because of the improvements that we see year after year after year. And at the end of the day, the bread and butter of this defense has been in stopping the run. And then playing, not necessarily on an island, but working on some rotations, working on 
actually being in position to make the plays and then making the tackles. We've seen tackling improve year after year after year. Sure, you may disagree with that in certain areas and on certain plays, but we see tackling improve year after year after year to where it's not our biggest concern. Sure, there are still some question marks on the back end, but I haven't really seen a quarterback who's been able to take advantage of those questions that we have, and it's because they just don't have the time to throw the ball. Defensively, again, Matt, we're, we're seeing this as a team that's improving. We're seeing it as a team that's improved over the past three years, and there's no reason for me to say that that won't be the case moving forward. If this is a team that plays like they did in the second half against Texas, I think it's a monster win against a TCU team that has the ability to rush the quarterback, but really hasn't found found a way to consistently win games and utilize the advantage that they have on the field. TCU versus Oklahoma, strength on strength when we talk about TCU's offense versus Oklahoma's defense. How much room will Zach Evans have to run? And I'm saying it's not much. But again, we're looking at an Oklahoma offense that's finding its way. And if they continue on this trajectory, I I believe that 13.5 may not be enough points to spot TCU in this spread on Saturday. Yeah, that's a fair point on the uh, whole point spread thing, Oklahoma and Texas. That's just something that just right over my head, uh, maybe still shell-shocked on how that game played out. We had Texas... Uh, three and a half, I think, in that game uh, on our official Friday Locks prediction pages and all that stuff. And I felt like that was a seven and a half. You know what I'm saying? It just one of those games where you're down by so much, you come back and I mean, it it was a comfortable seven point win, but it was a seven point win. Um, even even when Texas scored to tie it up at, at 45, you just kind of excuse me at 48, you just kind of knew. Oklahoma was still had a score. I mean, I, I, along with thousands of other people, thought it was going to be um, a field goal, you know, send Gabe Burkich out there. But it turns out Kennedy Brooks is like, hey, I got this. Don't worry about it. So, so yeah, so um, my bad. I made a mistake on that. But Richard correctly, uh, quickly and correctly uh, adjusted that for me. And we'll see if Oklahoma... Uh, does cover the point spread against TCU. I'll give you my official prediction of that here in just a few minutes. I do want to point out a few things here. First of all, I do agree. I agree wholeheartedly that defensively, when when you look at this Texas TCU offense, Max Diggin is a good player, but this offense 100% is centered on the running backs. And he mentioned Zach Evans, and and I don't want to take anything away from that because Zach Evans is a phenomenal player, but he also isn't the only guy in that backfield. Keandre Miller is really coming on, and when you you look at side by side comparison, now I will say this: Miller has 40 less carries. Okay, Zach Evans 74 carries on the season, Miller with 34, but in 34 carries, so it's not just like he's been a, a few carries, 34 carries. He's averaging 8.9 yards per touch, 8.9 yards per carry. And he's got six touchdowns to Zach Evans, five. So I don't think that that really takes either one of these guys out of, you you don't want to like overlook Keandre Miller because of Zach Evans, but also you don't want to overlook Zach Evans because of Keandre Miller. Now that I think when you, when you look at 
West Virginia, clearly it was a one guy in the running back position that you got to stop. When you look at Kansas State, one guy. You look at Texas, one guy. I don't think it's that cut and dry with TCU. I, I think you've got to give both of these running backs attention. I think you've got to know where they are. They're they're not they're not Deuce Vaughn type guys out of the backfield where they're going to like burn you for a hundred yards on, on the regular basis. The, the, between the two of them, they've got a combined eleven catches. But they're certainly guys that you're going to want to take account for whenever they come out of the backfield. And so I I agree that the game plan defensively doesn't change very much. So it's, it's going to be exactly what we saw against those teams I mentioned. It's going to be exactly what we saw against TCU, excuse me, against West Virginia, against Kansas State, against Texas. And, and now can Max Duggan beat you with his arm? And so that means all the pressure is going to be on the backside of this defense. Does Oklahoma get Woody Washington back this weekend? Because I feel a lot more comfortable in this game plan if they get Woody Washington back. But that said, the fact that they were able to kind of give the defensive secondary some help in that second, particularly in the second half against Texas, they were able to give the defensive secondary some help and still contain a guy like B. John Robinson, 35 yards in the second half. And that's what that's what backing up a little bit to give the secondary some help. That should give you some hope against TCU. But again, TCU is a talented, talented group. I said in a bold prediction going into Texas that Oklahoma held B. John Robinson to under 100 yards. Clearly, I was wrong about that. But again, I want to say I wasn't I wasn't alone in that. I'm going to stick with that for this week because I think the game plan stays the same. So here's my bold prediction. And if you've been looking at stats for OU football, this isn't going to surprise you at all. But my bold prediction for this weekend for defense, for Oklahoma's defense, is simply this. TCU won't have a 100-yard rusher. I'm not saying that they won't rush for 100 yards, but they won't have a 100-yard rusher. But that said, I think Max Duggan has probably the best game of his season so far because that's just been the MO. That's, that's been what guys do against this Oklahoma defense. It's good enough to win, but it's, it's also one of those things that it's, it's a give and take. I think Oklahoma's defense can come up with interceptions. By the way, Duggan's best game so far this season, 276 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. That that came against SMU. Here's what happens when you don't contain the run. Last week at Texas Tech, Duggan only completed eight of ten passes. That's insane. It's insane to think about. 10 passing attempts for an offense that scored 52 points. Well, it's because TCU ran for almost 400 yards, 394 yards. And that's what Zach Evans not even getting a carry in the second half because they're nursing a foot injury. And they had this thing in control. It's like 35 to 10 at the half. So you don't need to put Zach Evans back out there. So that's what happens when when you don't pay attention to TCU's running game. The quarterback only has to throw the ball 10 times. 
I don't think that'll be the case. I, I would I would be shocked if I would be shocked if if Duggan has less than ten passing attempts in the first half. Because I, I think again, going back, this is Oklahoma's defense is not going to change his game plan very much from what it's done basically the past month. And I can't say this enough. I know I've said it twice already, but Woody Washington being in this secondary would be a huge boost. But I think it puts a guy like Brian Osamoa in the spotlight. That's the player I'm going to watch this week. Brian Osamoa is quietly having a, a pretty decent season for Oklahoma. And I think he becomes the guy that you really just kind of put out there and and you got to watch him and how he plays this against this TCU front. Whether we're talking about putting pressure on the quarterback on an obvious passing down or limiting the running game, Brian Osamoa is definitely the guy I think you want to keep an eye on. You know, clearly on the offensive side of the ball, you're looking at the quarterback situation. And, that, I mean, again, we talked about that extensively on – on Sunday's podcast after the OU Texas game, Rich already hit it up uh, in true or false tonight. I gave you some initial thoughts at the beginning. I don't think, I, th- I think you enter into the, the category of beating a dead horse um, to keep going on, but clearly that's a position that you, you want to watch. But for me uh, that set aside, I think again, you got to look at the running back spot for Oklahoma. I think you got to look at Kennedy Brooks. I, he got his first start against Texas. I think you got to just keep riding that horse. I, I said this after the OU Texas game. You can't go back on Caleb Williams, and I don't think you can go back on Kennedy Brooks either. And you're going up against a TCU defense that gives up over 200 yards per game on the ground. TCU is averaging 429 yards allowed to their opponents. 28 points allowed to their opponents. So it, it, I, you do the same thing. I mean, I talked about how the defensive game plan is exactly the same as the last month. Kind of the offensive game plan is as well. You balance it out. You ran, you ran the ball against Kansas state and you had a pretty good offensive performance. You ran the ball against Texas pretty good offensive performance you keep doing that thing you keep the keep the offense balanced and Kennedy Brooks is the key to that I have no idea where to go with the bold prediction I'll be honest with you because I don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback position so I'm just going to grab an obvious one and that is I think Kennedy Brooks keeps this I guess I was gonna say keeps the streak going but for him personally he's going to continue the streak and and Kennedy Brooks is going to rush for over 200 over 100 yards sorry he's going to rush for over 100 yards and I think Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray are going to combine for over 200 yards that, that's what the that's what the um my prediction was before Oklahoma and Texas combined 200 all-purpose yards between Gray and Brooks and I think that's going to happen again against TCU on Saturday I don't know where to go from there because I don't, I don't know how much Caleb Williams we're going to get. I don't know how much Spencer Rattler we're going to get. I don't know if we're going to get Spencer Rattler at all. I, so help me. You tell me. I, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'm just going to pull this out of the air. Caleb Williams takes more offensive snaps than Spencer Rattler does. But is that really a bold prediction? Because I kind of feel like that's a kind of a no-duh type moment. But I had an interesting conversation with my son who 
if you listen to the podcast, you know this, former college quarterback. He brought up a great point. What if Caleb Williams in the Cotton Bowl against Texas on Saturday is on the same playing field as Trevor Knight in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama? I honestly hadn't thought about that until he brought it up. It was an all-time performance for Trevor Knight. When you talk about Trevor Knight in the University of Oklahoma and his time in Norman, what do you think about? You think about the Sugar Bowl, and you think about beating Alabama. What if Caleb Williams was Trevor Knight's Alabama moment? Now, I don't, I don't think it was. I really don't. I think the talent gap between Caleb Williams and Trevor Knight is, is immense, and I, I think even Trevor Knight would admit to that. So I, I don't think it's close in what these two guys and their abilities and their capabilities are. But then there's that thought there. There's that thought. What if? Maybe Saturday night kind of goes towards answering that question. At the end of the day, you got to look at it. Oklahoma, number four in the nation. They're, they're, I said this at the beginning. They're very much where they want to be. They're 6-0. and They had the opportunity to go 8-7-0. and 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 then you got Kansas on the hills of TCU, 8-0. and You have the, you, you're going to go deep into October, into November, undefeated. And the key to getting you and maintaining, getting you where you want to be and maintaining where you are right now is going to be what happens at the signal caller. So that automatically makes the quarterback the position to watch. But again, Kennedy Brooks, Marvin Mims, you might as well throw him out there as well. He's up to 400 yards. He scored his first two touchdowns on the season against Texas. Why don't you just watch everybody in offense? Because again, it's you tell me. You you just tell me who. I don't. I have no idea how to go about prognosticating this offense other other than to say this I think they score more points in TCU there's a big hint because we're about to break down the big 12 and I'm going to give you my official score prediction it's almost a full slate of action in the big 12 this weekend West Virginia does have the weekend off but there's still five games because Baylor stepping out of conference to host BYU I don't know why this game is taking place at this point of the season, but it's definitely going to be something worth tuning in for the afternoon um, if that's what you would like to do because Oklahoma, you've got Oklahoma State and Texas to kick off the day. Oklahoma doesn't start until 6.30, so it's sandwiched in between that. You can watch that BYU-Baylor game, and I think it's going to be pretty interesting, but let's start with the the big game of the weekend in the Big 12. I, I think it's Oklahoma State at Texas, and this is this is monumental for both programs because you got Mike Gundy sitting with at number 12 in the nation, 5-0, and 2-0 in the Big 12. This is like the first major hurdle for Oklahoma State. I, I saw a lot of a lot of kind of uh, hurt-feeling Oklahoma State fans on social media over the weekend. People talking about already Oklahoma-Texas rematch for the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma State fans are like, hey, what about us? Why are you, why are you sliding us? And how come they're not looking? Texas a four-point favorite in this game. If you're Mike Gundy, if you're any player on Oklahoma State's team, if you're a fan and you want to be included in the conversation for the Big 12 championship game, you got to win. You, you can't come out of 
Austin two and one in conference play. You got to come out of Austin three and zero. And this this game is not going to be decided, in my opinion, not going to be decided necessarily by the talent on the field as much as it's going to be decided by the two coaches on the sidelines. This is a big coaching matchup for Mike Gundy. And I hate to say it, but we've seen him go into a shell. The last time they were in Austin, we saw him go into a shell. That's that's going to be what determines this game. Four-point spread over under 60. I think the over under is right on point for where I think points are going to be scored in this game. Oklahoma State, don't sleep on their defense. They they are pretty good defensively, but we saw this with Texas in the Cotton Bowl last week. The Longhorns can explode offensively. I think there's going to be a lot of running yards in this game, probably more running yards um, than passing yards possibly between these two offenses. But um, I think at the end of the day, look, I, if you're, again, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're going to be happy with this pick because I've not been right once about Oklahoma State this season. But at the end of the day, I think i got to take Texas in those four points. And the Longhorns win this game uh, by about a touchdown uh, touchdown or so. Touchdown to 10 points, I'm going to say. Texas with the win in Austin. And that's going to rejuvenate all the Texas fans towards going to the Big 12 championship game. I just I, – I, I would love nothing more for uh, Halloween Orange to beat Burnt Orange on Saturday. I just don't think it's going to happen. BYU at Baylor. That's a 2:30 kickoff. The Bears are six-point favorites. Over/under in this game is 50 and a half points. First of all, get that over. Okay, just jump on that over. Uh, that's that's where you want to be here. Also, think about this. Um, this is this is a big moment for Baylor because they're playing. They're hosting a nationally ranked team. The Big 12 currently has Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas in the top 25. Baylor's sitting at five and one. If they get a win this weekend over BYU, who, by the way, also is five and one, you're you're looking probably at four ranked teams in the Big 12 come Monday. So there's a lot on the line here for Baylor, a lot on the line for the Big 12, and I'm, I think Baylor gets it done. I, I don't I don't think BYU is a very physical team, and I think Baylor is. They're not as physical as they were in in 2019 under Matt Rule, but they're still pretty physical. I think that's how they beat Iowa State. And I I think that's how they beat Baylor on Saturday afternoon. So give me Baylor. Do they cover the six? I'm going to say yes. Definitely love that over. I think it's about 10 points too low at 50 and a half. Shortly after the Baylor-BYU game kicks off, Texas Tech at Kansas. Any game with Kansas is the worst game of the week in the Big 12. But again, it's the game within the game. Texas Tech favored by 17.5 points to over-under 68. I think it's um, I think that over-under is too high because we're, we're talking about Kansas. But here's the game within the game. Can Texas Tech beat Kansas by 18? I say all the time. I, I feel like all the time I say, I think Kansas, they're not going to win the game, but I think they can cover that spread. The question is, how much did the the loss against TCU take out of Texas Tech last weekend? How much did that loss hurt their psyche? Is it enough for Kansas to cover 17 and a half? On the road, by the way. Keep in mind, the last time we saw 
Texas Tech on the road. They're getting 70 dropped in their head by Texas. And then we saw TCU run for almost 400 yards against Texas Tech. So let's not pretend like Kansas can't score against Texas Tech. The question is, can either of these defenses stop each other? That's why you got to over-under at 68. I think there's going to be enough of the, of the offenses stopping themselves to not get to 68. You're going to have to score 10 touchdowns combined. I don't know that you get there. But I do think, I do think Kansas can cover this. Now, probably I'll come back on Sunday night and say, okay, I can't believe I, I like Oklahoma State. I, can't, I keep picking against Oklahoma State, and all they do is win. I keep picking with Kansas, and all they do is lose. I'm just going to probably have to come back Sunday night and say, yep, I should have known better. Big 12 nightcap, Iowa State at Kansas State. Iowa State is six-and-a-half point favorite. Over-under here is 50-and-a-half. Uh, give me the over here. And, man... I think this is a close game. It's it's an important game, really, because it's 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 basically an elimination game for Kansas State. The Wildcats sitting at 0-2 in the Big 12. Iowa State 1-1 in the Big 12. Kansas State loses this game. They're done. They're out. Iowa State is on the edge if they lose this game. So this game has a lot, a lot on the line. I think I think it would take Kansas six and a half. They're six and a half point dogs at home. I think I would take them. I, I feel like this game comes down to a field goal on either side. I do like, again, I like that over at 15 and a half. That leads us to Oklahoma and TCU. The Horn Frogs coming in three and two, one and one in the Big 12. Obviously, the Sooners six and oh, three and oh in the Big 12. Sooners are 13 and a half point favorites. Over under here is going to be um, right at 64 points. So let me tell you right now, take the over on this game. Man, I here's here's my problem. It goes back to what I was saying in, in, before we started the Big 12 rundown. I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be like here. I have no idea what to expect. Do, do I get something that looks like the Kansas State in the first half of Oklahoma, like Oklahoma, Texas, I like a combination with Spencer Rattler, or do I get something that looks like the second half of Oklahoma with Caleb Williams? I have no idea, and neither do you. That's why 13 and a half points could be spot on, or it could be off by 14 points. Because nobody knows. So here's what I'm going to say. I definitely, I think I like the over on this game. And let's say Oklahoma wins by 14. Let's say Oklahoma wins something along the lines of 37. See, I was going to say 37-24. I see it something like that. 37-24, 37-20. At 24, you're right at the 13 points. And you got to get to 13 and a half. I don't, man, I don't know. All right, official score prediction here is going to be Oklahoma <laughs> 37 and let's say 37-23. I'll take that. 37-23, Sooners over the Horned Frogs, and they cover the 13.5 point spread. Hey, uh, flying solo again this week on the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich will be back with me on Sunday to break down TCU and Oklahoma uh, post game. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in. You can catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Find us every day on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.